let me tell you a story. In December 2010, just outside of Detroit, Michigan, an unmarked van pulled into the parking lot of a Radio Shack store. Several masked men quickly exited the van and rushed into the store, bracing handguns. The shoppers were ordered to move to the back of the store, while the other gunmen had the clerks fill bags with brand new smartphones and devices, all at gunpoint. Just a few minutes later, the men in the van were gone, along with tens of thousands of dollars in electronic devices. This was just the first in a string of robberies in Michigan and Ohio, as electronic stores found themselves robbed by these mysterious men. That is, until April 2011, when police officials finally managed to find and arrest four of the robbers, one of whom confessed the robbing nine stores, and who turned his phone over along with the phone numbers of his co-conspirators to the FBI. Making use of the weaker privacy laws at the time, the FBI requested cellular data on all of the calls made with these numbers, including their location data, which the phone companies were compelled to turn over without a search warrant. This data led to more arrests, including one on the brains of the whole operation, a conspirator by the name of Timothy Carpenter, who was then charged with 12 counts of armed robbery. Carpenter would be found guilty on 11 of these counts, and sentenced to over 116 years in federal prison. However, he appealed his conviction, arguing that by accessing his location data without a full search warrant, the FBI had violated his Fourth Amendment right against unreasonable search and seizure. The case eventually found its way to the Supreme Court, whose controversial ruling dramatically changed a new and fast-growing field of law one that could shape the very future of society. Hi, my name is Kurt Urban, and on this episode of One Time Pod, I'll be discussing what has become known as the field of privacy law in the United States. While the battle between privacy and surveillance goes on in the public eye, I'll be going a little behind the scenes and into the courtrooms, where many of these public questions come to be answered. The area of privacy law is comparatively new, having come into its current form as technology advances in recent years created a need to figure out where exactly the lines are to be drawn in an online society. Can a company monitor what you do outside of their app or website? Is it legal to indefinitely store facial recognition data? And what standard is there to turn over these types of data to law enforcement. These types of questions characterize what privacy law seeks to clarify, especially as public awareness on the issue of privacy has soared in recent years. In fact, the Pew Research poll from June 2019 found that 84% of Americans believe they have little or no control over what types of data the government collects on them. 66% said that they believe the risks of government data collecting outweigh the benefits, and ultimately 70% of Americans felt their data was less safe now than it was five years ago. Now, whether or not you are one of these people, privacy law has created more clarity and safeguards on data compared to where things were just five years ago.
The court is obligated to ensure that the progress of science does not erode Fourth Amendment protections. These words come from Chief Justice John Roberts of the United States Supreme Court, written in his decision in Carpenter v. United States. Hopefully, you remember the story of Timothy Carpenter from a few minutes ago, and how the warrantless acquisition of his cell phone location data led to his arrest and conviction. At the time he was convicted, the law stated that all an enforcement agency had to do was show that the requested data was relevant to a case in order to acquire the data. Probable cause, a much higher standard, was not required, nor was a warrant. But in the split 5-4 to four decision, the Supreme Court agreed with Carpenter that by collecting his location data without a full warrant, the FBI had violated his Fourth Amendment right to a reasonable expectation of privacy. But what exactly is a reasonable expectation of privacy? Well, it's this legal idea that you have a right to be left alone in places like your house or your bathroom. You have a certain expectation of privacy a belief that your private matters are, well, private. In places like a work office or a school, however, you don't have that same expectation of privacy because you're in, well, a public place. Whenever you go online, however, the meaning drastically changes. In fact, the law states that Whenever you disclose information to a third party, such as accepting a privacy policy or accepting cookies on a website, then you cannot have an expectation that that data stays private after you hand it to a third party. This idea is what the US government argued in the Carpenter case. The court, however, found that by giving the government an unchecked ability to track GPS or location data, it was, quote, as if it had attached an ankle monitor to the phone's user. How would you feel if the government could endlessly track your location? This is why the court agreed that we have a reasonable expectation of privacy, quote, in the whole of one's physical movements. The decision came as a landmark move in the area of privacy law, reining in the power of government to access stored data without a warrant, while also expanding our right to a reasonable expectation of privacy. The decision did not ultimately help Carpenter himself, as he was retried and again found guilty, and again sentenced to 116 years in prison. However, the decision beyond that created a lot of controversy, as proponents of law enforcement argued they were losing power to effectively track down criminals. But this was not going to be the only check put in place by the courts. Another case, titled U.S. v. Molin, was recently decided by the Ninth Circuit of Appeals just last year. Now, take a second to imagine that 
for whatever reason the government's investigating you, you committed some tax fraud. And as a part of that investigation, they start to collect your data, track what you do online. And let's say you Google how to commit tax fraud or something like that. Ultimately, this leads the government, based on their data collection, to charge you with tax fraud. Now, thanks to the decision in U.S. v. Mullen, the government is required under the Fourth Amendment to notify you of this data collection whenever they bring criminal charges. This allows you, as well as any criminal defendant in general, the chance to challenge the data that was collected, or the methods that were used to collect it, and potentially keep it out of court. While these decisions are promising for the future of privacy law in the United States, there remains a vast gray area, a large amount of questions that remain unanswered and whose answers are going to be difficult to find. Currently, there is no single unifying privacy law in the United States at the federal level, only a patchwork of 50 different state laws and state requirements. And out of all of these, California is the only state to have a comprehensive Consumer Privacy Act. Ask the question, do we need a federal privacy act? And if so, what would that look like? Chief Justice Roberts articulated his vision that technology cannot erode the Fourth Amendment. But now that the balance of the court has shifted more to the right, what might future decisions on the right to privacy look like coming from the Supreme Court? Even beyond that, Proponents of law enforcement argue that the use of third-party data and tracking is crucial for criminal investigations, such as how it led them to catching Carpenter. But how does that balance with the right to privacy and the protection of our own information? All of these questions are fiercely debated in the public sphere, but ultimately, they'll be decided behind the scenes in the courts of our nation over the coming years. Now, if you're interested in this area of privacy law, and especially how it will likely shape our online interactions for years to come, I would greatly encourage you to do some exploring yourself. In the meantime, however, it's been an honor to talk with you all, and thank you for listening to this episode of One Time Pod.